Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Check. One, two, three. On the mic. Test, test, test. With Mike Goldman. My name is Mike Goldman and welcome to On The Mic, the podcast that puts people who are on the mic on the mic. Today, we're going to be talking to radio TV legend James Curley. He's hosted so many shows, it's ridiculous, all over Channel 10, Nickelodeon, Foxtel. He even does a little bit of auctioneering on the side and like myself, he's actually a Airbnb host. We'll talk to him about that. Plus, we're going to try out a new segment, which is called Wikipedia Pants, where basically I read some stuff off Wikipedia and he just tags it with what he thinks along the way. And so do I. That comes up about 28 minutes into the podcast. Thank you very much to our wonderful friends at the Bytes.com podcast network. iTunes podcasts, you legends. Please jump onto iTunes. Give us a rating. Share it with your friends. Give us a review. And you have the chance at winning a bottle of Goldman Wines. Yeah, I've got some cousins in, in the the Valley who have a winery and they can be wine to give away on this podcast, Goldman Wines. It's amazing stuff and organic, organic, orgasmic. If you want to come and meet me, say hello to me or throw food at me, I'm performing this Saturday night at Luna Park. Yes, Luna Park has a new comedy club run by comedy legend Darren Sanders. It's called the Sydney Comedy Club. He's performing. Also, Tommy Dean and a couple other comedians. Go to sydneycomedyclub.com.au to see who is performing. Now, James Carley. There's a big old world out there protecting all the light. Yes, Mike. Great Yay. to be here. Well, finally. It is, it, is, it is great. I mean, a long-time listener, of course, and uh, first-time guest on, on the mic. James R. Curley, star of Australian TV and radio. Mate, I remember watching you on Channel V, was it all those years ago? Yeah, yeah, but Channel V. And and you were you know hosting all these music festivals and traveling around the globe, getting to hang out with all the rock stars. What was that like? Mate, it was good fun. It was good fun. They uh it was a it was a great era at Channel V when I was there, you know. There was lots of uh spending within Foxtel mm. back in those uh, days where they were spending, which was good. And and creating some shows, some original Australian content. We came up with a, a show called B430, which is mm. like a hit list, a bucket list sort of show of things Things you want to do before you turn 30. That's so, cool. yeah, we pitched it in the boardroom to the, the boss. you all over the world, didn't it? Yeah, I think the fir- first trip we did was to Denmark for Ross Kilda Festival. It's like oh, a nine day festival. Wow. Who's playing? Uh, Jay Z was headlining, MGMT. It's a little song. sample of it there. Here's yeah. a bit of it now. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. I think your singing did did a justice there. So through Spain, through Europe, all, all over the place. Got to meet some great bands and uh, and have a lot of fun as well. How'd you get the job at Channel V? Did you have to do an audition? Remember they did the cattle calls all over Australia? And I was working at Nickelodeon before that, mm. and sort of got to a point where I was getting a bit too rude 
I think, and, and needed to quit or be fired from Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, to get so, another job. So I chose the former. So Nickelodeon was before Channel V? Yeah, yeah it'd oh, be hard to go Sarvo, from- the show Sarvo. Yeah, it'd be hard to go from Channel V back to Nickelodeon. <laughs> That's um, true. But yeah, yeah, sort of had a nice, uh, nice four and a half years there at uh, Nickelodeon doing a daily show. Mm, a um, daily show, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Like, that was a very rare thing to get in Australian television. Oh, it was great fun, you know, jumping on air each day. And uh, they, they gave a lot more- a lot more room to, to muck around and have some some uh, sub- subtext going for the for the older you know babysitters like or an episode of The Simpsons. Watching. Yeah, we could sneak all yeah. sorts of stuff in there. We did one episode where I was afraid of blue balls, <laughs> but just blue coloured balls. <laughs> like so little some... kids would think nothing of it, but parents would go, "That's oh, awesome." Little kids loved it because it was about fear. It was about overcoming yeah. your fear and, mm. and getting past my fear of blue balls, which would occasionally bounce through the set. Um, <laughs> but we sort of pushed the line with stuff like that. And he's um, still scared of blue balls. Uh, look, they do freak me out occasionally. What is what is blue balls anyway? Is that when you haven't had sex for a while? It's a claim. I think some. Uh, is that some, what it is? Some feminists claim it's just a, a construct to uh, trick trick women into having sex with men. Uh, Say, oh no, I, I'm going to get cancer of the balls unless you help me have sex yeah, right now. Save me, save me. Yeah, I've been bitten by a spider on the penis. It's not a, it's not a medical thing though, is it? Where you go to the doctor and he goes, "I'm sorry, sir, but you have blue balls." Oh my god, I'm gonna die. Look at them, they're blue. No, I think it's yeah, it's a pretty light light uh, light issue. So what did you do on Savo? Mate, all sorts of crazy stuff. There was sliming. There was, there was moments. Yeah. I, th- I think there's only so much slime you can take because that's yeah. the Nickelodeon's brand, mm. you know, of slime. You got sick Kids of slime. love it. It was an honor to be slimed, but you get you get slime. Did you ever eat it? We did, yeah. There's a, there's a court case back with you can't do that on television, I think, which was a, a Canadian show where they were using toxic slime, and, and some of the actors and presenters came back, and there was a court case years afterwards. So we had to use custard mm. and apple sauce with mm. green food dye. So it was entirely edible. So you could eat it. You could eat everything. Yeah, you mm. could you could do a few liters of it, but it would turn turn things green inside you. I went on the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards one year when I was hosting Friday Night Live Mm. and they said, we're going to do something that has never happened to anyone on Nickelodeon before. We're going to blow you up and slime you. Both. So they put me into this big box and the box exploded. I came running out of it, my hair all up and black charcoal look all over my face. And then they slimed the crap out of me and gave me an award. (laughs) The most willing to be uh, humiliated on public TV. Almost killed on television for Friday Night Live. Yeah, so that was fun. Did you win a Kids' Choice Award? Mate, we won a few. Had a few of the orange. I don't know where my orange blimps are now. Probably at Mum's, I think, on the the mantelpiece. The, The orange blimp for Friday Night Live... I accepted on stage after being blown up and slimed mm. and I kept it for about five years. I didn't give it to the executive producer and then when I realised I had no work and needed a job, I gave it to the executive producer <laughs> who's now the boss of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here and he still doesn't give me a freaking job. Ask for it back. Yeah, I'm gonna give ask me for it back. back. I deserve it back. Give me it back. But yeah, it got to a point with uh, with Nickelodeon where we're getting a bit too cheeky. We're doing Blue Balls episodes. We did one mm. uh, Best Buds Cake where uh, my co-host at the time was making a, uh, a cake because we are best friends, mm. two male hosts, best friends after school, yeah. and he was chopping up some lavender in a silver bowl, chopping it up nice and fine to make a, <laughs> a, a cake for your best bud, your best buddy. And at those points, we were really toned the line. Some of the younger producers were uh, not entirely aware of what was getting slipped through to the keeper. <laughs> And we had to, yeah, oh, make no. that call to perhaps perhaps resign and go somewhere like Channel V where you could do. So he got the job at Channel V as well? Uh, no, he, he's gone off and done uh, a bunch of acting. Mm. Yeah. So he's uh, Dave, Dave Lawson's done some sensational comedy, uh, comedy work. Yeah, we still sort of catch up when I'm in Melbourne or he comes up and, yeah, have a couple of beers. That's cool. So when, yeah. you, went, when you went to Channel V after that, hosting mm. all these crazy shows all over the world, interviewing rock stars everywhere, who was one of your best interviews? 
One of the best interviews, Caleb from Kings of Leon was a pretty... Is he pretty, he's the lead singer? Yeah, yeah. He's, the, he's the main dude. And it was the, I think it was the tail end of his recovery from alcoholism. Mm. You know, So, so this was at rehab. the peak of their career. Yeah, well, I think it was their, maybe their fourth album. So probably the, the just just tipping the, just jumped the shark oh, just <laughs> at that point. It. Yeah, because yeah. I haven't really heard much since then. Their, their, no, their it, first album was massive, wasn't it? It was huge. It was and then huge. it just sort of went downhill from there. And then I think he um, beat some of the demons inside him and the music disappeared, you know. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, at, at that point he just, just got out of rehab and we're in the in, in Soho House, I think. Um, Where's that? In, in New York. Oh, yeah. In a penthouse there. It's pretty, it was the last interview of the day. I had a mm. great chat to him. Sort of three quarters of the way through, he said, do you want to, do you want to drink? There's this beautiful uh, copper um, scotch table. And he wheeled over and said, would you like a, Hello. some of this nice scotch? I'm like, hell, I would love to. Don't mind if I Don't do. Don't mind if I do. And the, his scotch. PA, his sort of mind is head in hands going, oh, no, oh, no. here we good. go. So we had you know, just a little nip and then a few more nips. And But he and, just um, quit drinking. Well, you've got you know, him, no you've one got likes him, a quitter. You, you pushed him off the wagon. <laughs> no, no one likes a quitter. No one likes a quitter. It seemed like a similar drink, but it, it definitely turned into a few. And what, what did you do? Where did you go? Uh, ended up having lunch with him. and um, Not the next day. None of oh. went out to lunch afterwards. Went down to this restaurant oh, okay. downstairs, so it's a morning Barbuto, interview. New York, cool. and he started playing the spoons. His his fiance uh, at the time playing the together. spoons. Who's a Victoria's Secret model now? Apparently, got got at the job at Victoria's Secret, and she's still still an angel, which is good. He started playing the spoons in the middle of this fairly fancy restaurant at about four five in the afternoon. When you say playing the spoons, does that mean he's doing heroin? Yeah, cooking up and uh, injecting, and then uh, passing out on the floor. No, they just actually uh, playing the instruments, of spoons in a restaurant. Yeah, and you got, the, what happened? You get yeah, kicked he's out. Got or? that hillbilly kind of. No, I think that he lives across the road from this place. So yeah, they let him said, do what hey, he wants. That's fine. That's you know, that's that's Jared. He's, he's doing all right. He can he can do that. But uh, a few of the, the posher diners are sort of looking at like, who's, this, who's this hick? Who's how, this redneck? How dare he play belting, the spoons in our establishment with his you know two hundred dollar bottle of red wine next to him? Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. you're spending that much money on wine and let him do what he wants. Exactly. And let so him, let what, him play. What happened then? Was let it him just, play. Just that was it? Yeah, there was a bit of a kick on. There was a bit of Come a kick on. Come on, man. There was a bit of a kick what on. What happened in the kick on? Well, I think um we we they told us to go to this place called La Asquina, which was looks like a, a Mexican sort of taco place. Mm. I thought this is a stitch up. This is, you know, the end of the road kind of thing. But mm. then there's a bouncer in the kitchen. So you walk through this the dodgiest looking taco joint in, in New York. And you, you walk through the kitchen, there's a bouncer standing at the back of the kitchen. You sort of ask him, and then there's a whole party going on downstairs. Oh, big like bar. a secret bar. Secret bar. Oh. Secret bar. So I went down there, had a few drinks. I've been to a few of those places in LA where you go through the secret bar, through the kitchen, and yeah. you, go, you go through, it's a, a, cheap through trick. a fridge. It's a cheap trick. I think there's, people, there's a couple of those actually up in, up in Sydney now as well. And so, what? come on, keep keep going. What, what were you doing? Are you guys on the prowl for chicks? Or no, he's with his having... missus. My best mate ended up flying into town. We had a few drinks. He took off. Nothing, nothing that crazy. But it was good to get a few drinks and, and get him well and truly off the wagon. But that's pretty cool, getting to go out all night and hang out with the lead singer of Kings of Leon. It was good. Unreal. Was oh, who's, good. who's your worst interview? Because I've had a few crappy ones over oh, the years. Yeah, same. I mean, I love I love musos and love music in general, but Jared Leto was absolutely the worst. 30 Seconds to Mars. Really? Why? Just so cocky and just gave nothing. Yeah, He's really. there, sort of flicking at him, mama beans at him, mm. at his, at me at one point. At you know, 
What a bastard! So I just took the piss out of him. He has had an incredible career, though, and yeah, and I guess he's a beautiful just man, sick to death of interviews. But if you don't want to do interviews and you're that successful, yeah, don't, don't do them. Yeah, stay home. Exactly. Your albums are selling. You've won a Golden Globe. Why stay home and don't worry about it. Don't waste all our time, Jared. What a bastard! Little message to him. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, absolute dud root. That one. In the interview sense. Mm. So uh, you left Channel V. Channel V's um, closed down after you left. And they thought, well, James is gone. What are we going to do? So they shut, shut the up shop. Doesn't exist anymore. That's, does it, that's does history. It exist? That's true. That's fact. Yeah, I think they're still playing V hits. So mm. an unhosted channel of video clips. Mm. Um, but, you know, yeah. I mean, MTV obviously doing some great stuff around the world and sort of shifted from from video clips to reality so mm. five, five or so years ago. Yeah, and um, anyone can watch any clips that they want on, the, on yeah, YouTube now. Yeah, Vimeo, YouTube, that, that offering's there. Rather than waiting and, and being told by a programmer what you should watch, you can mm. choose and program your own. And a lot of the musical music apps now, you can uh, you can watch video clips. Like Tidal, they're pumping out the video clips as well now. You know that Jay-Z music app? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So having all that access in your pocket mm. versus mm. Uh, what you'd wait to see on, on the TV when you got home, uh, yeah, I think was the, the nail in the coffin. Did you ever play anything, like guitar like, or I was quite nerdy growing up, play the piano and violin, Mikey oh, Mike. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, a bit of classical like, yeah, piano. Like and a violin. Richard Wilkins playing the violin. <laughs> did, did Richard Next Wilkins thing you know, be hanging out with like Swedish classical composers and playing of, on stage with them. What was that guy's name? A couple of fiddlers. Andrew Rio and. Uh, oh, yeah, that's it. Andrew Rio. Sandwich, a nice little sandwich between them is the, uh, the fantasy of many. Obviously, you've hosted a few shows there, Channel V. You've uh, yeah you've done all that great stuff on on Nickelodeon, and then you mm. got to go and do some uh, cool shows like Balls of Steel, where you played the game show host. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. With, Love uh, that show, hilarious. With, with Southern Star, do you call it Endemol now? Shine Demol, they all end up amalgamating. Uh, yeah, so they had a a large database of people who wanted to be on game shows, so mm. genuine contestants who thought they had what it took to to be one of Australia's finest game show contestants. Mm. So we had this great um, data to pull from contestants mm. and get them on to fake game shows which were rigged in horrible ways <laughs> they were ridiculous. and completely mess with their so minds funny. with people who were right for the picking so people who genuinely uh, thought they were the best of the best yeah. so yeah some of the some of the did games that, anyone lose them. it when they found out it was fake but there's only one, there's a one one big dude who's a power lines worker from uh, from Newcastle who was built must have been six and a half feet tall 120 kilos solid dude mm. um, and I was sort of pushing pushing him sort of saying hey mate don't don't mess with me this is a game show we're trying to get this off the ground uh, and, cont- and <laughs> but actually being the one messing with him and oh, he snapped no. throwing his uh, microphone off at one point and, and gone to walk off but that's great TV awesome perfect yeah that's brilliant absolutely perfect but he wouldn't sign the release form so yeah. in, in Australia oh, obviously he so just he couldn't the release use it. form uh, for, for the privacy laws mm. you know and uh, he held off and, and held, held the show at ransom what? He, he done a he done a, a beer commercial and oh, knew there was a bit okay. of money in TV, so he held yeah. off, held off, held off, and I think yeah, ended up paying oh. a little and, bit, and you little got bit to of play cash. It. Got to play it, yeah. That was great if, fun. So that's cool how stuff. it works, is it? You go, no, no, sorry, you can't use that yeah. unless you pay me a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Speak to my agent. And, Hello, and they had, a, they had Mike's a f- agent. They had a few people uh, on that show that were pranksters, like uh, Ali Pinnock. She used to play this. Um, angry, jaded, crazy girlfriend. Yeah, the bunny boiler. The bunny boiler, that's it. It's great. And and she'd go up to people and say, oh, do you, do you mind if I take a photo, uh, you guys take a photo of me and give them the camera? And she just starts um, cuddling up to the, the boyfriend of the girl that yeah. that, that is there and, and start, basically oh, yeah. starts Sitting a fight. Sitting on the lat, getting his number, trying to make out with him. So funny. Yeah. Hidden camera stuff, love it. 
Is Reece- that a couple of series you did that for? Yeah, it had uh, two series it ran for. Reese Nicholson, the uh, redhead comedian as well, did a great uh, a great couple of characters. One of them was a um, a gay man who would crack on to, to guys in very sexual ways when they asked for a – he set up a, a sausage sizzle or a Mr. Whippy kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, they'd come up and say, oh, can I just get a sausage sandwich? He's like, oh, you mean I flip you on your back and, and drive <laughs> drive into you and – no, I just said, sorry. So I mis- misunderstood there. Just a sausage sandwich. Do you want some sauce on that? So you want some sauce? What all over your back do you? Oh, no. Just, just, just absolutely that is such a good show. toe the line of, uh, of homophobic Australia. I mean, he, he was brilliant in, in, that, in that role, yeah. And the dating show. Are we allowed to talk about the dating show? Oh, yeah. Taken out that got taken off? Taken out. Well, it was a great show. It was a, sort of like a... A a, uh, a version of the Korean show or whatever it is where they have I think the maybe they copied it, but we we ran for nineteen episodes at, at numbers now you know you you wouldn't sort of see, but a, a very competitive time back then and uh, still still getting nineteen primetime episodes out is a, is a good run. Yeah, that's huge. If if we had our time again, and I'm, I'm sure Channel Ten would agree, you'd want to run it later at night. Having a PG rating, so much of the fun gets ripped mm. out and just that's just one of the problems of TV networks in Australia. They keep running these shows that are supposed to be late at night. They go, oh, it's such a great show. Let's run it in prime time and make it family viewing. Yeah. Like Big Brother all over the world is only on at like nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night in most countries. And they've run it as a family show here in Australia at seven and they go, Oh, we get all these complaints. Well, of course you fucking do. Yeah. You're not supposed to be showing people in the shower at seven o'clock at night. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a it's a bit of the paradox of, of the marketing mindset as well. If you try and homogenize and appeal to everyone, mm. you get something that's quite diluted and appeals to to less than everyone, you know. So picking your your demographic, who you're going after, and I, I guess that's the exciting age we live in now, Mike, where you can you can do so in the digital world far more readily and, and target people and, and get beyond those uh mm. you know those time slots and reach a, a bigger audience. When did you directly? When did you decide you wanted to work in the entertainment industry? How did that all come about? Well, I was a bit of a smart ass at school, mm. and then ended up doing uh, media studies at, uh, at at uni, so the Bachelor of Media at Macquarie University, and doing a lot of theatre sports, a lot of improv. Uh, and was loving loving that side of stuff more so than than the writing that I was studying. Uh, and then I was working at a magazine, getting thirty two, maybe it was even less, maybe twenty eight thousand dollars a year. Mm. You know, like it was. It was a maxim, was it? You did no. maxim TV for a no, while I was, as well. I was a, Is I was that a, coming I was back? A model. I saw Santi the other day, the editor, and he said, Maxim TV's back. I said, James will be happy. Santi, what's going on, Santi? Santi, I think they're trying to get it back up. Actually, yeah. No, see, but I was working for this magazine, so next to nothing. Uh, I was like, I, I need to find a job and applied for a job at Nickelodeon where you, um, a bit like what they do at Channel V, so a cattle call. Uh, they got five of us on air for two weeks. We had to do a, a series of stunts and win the hearts of kids mm. slash bribe kids. And me and a, another guy ended up getting the, the job. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I started. But it was, it was around that time, just after uni, realizing I wanted to to create stuff that people enjoyed. Did, did you come from an entertainment background? Do your mum and dad work in the industry? What do they do? They're both school teachers, so not really, mm. not really at all. But Dad's very eccentric. Mm. Dad isn't out there, dude. An eccentric. Have you ever met Bazza? Have no, you? Baza. Baza. Yeah. Where's Bazza live? Where'd you grow up? Bazza, we grew up in the northern beaches. Mm. Yeah, so around Manly in uh, Sydney, New South Wales. Yeah, you're a Manly fan. Yeah, yeah. Go well, you're, to you're your family. Love the Eagles, oh, don't yeah, you? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I used, I was the first ever mascot for the Manly Sea Eagles. How many times did you get tackled to the ground by drunk teenagers? Plenty. I actually held up a televised match once because I climbed the goalpost and the centre piece <laughs> yeah. fell down. 
I remember uh, was it Rex Mossop, I think, was the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the announcer at the day. And he goes, well, some numbnut dressed in a bird suit and has climbed up the goalpost and the middle bit's fallen down. So looks like we're going to have to sit here through half time, slowing down the game. So I was suspended for two matches. Two matches. I got suspended in one, one other time for spanking the referee on the ass with a flag. Perfect. The cheeky eagle. And, what do and, you get paid as an eagle mascot? Oh, I think I got about $30 $13. a game or something $30 like that. $30 a game, yeah. yeah. 12 bucks I, an hour. It was so hot in the bird suit. Like the the thickness of mm. it is like five tires that you got to carry around, and you just sweat. You, you couldn't stay in there longer than ten minutes. So I thought maybe it'd be better if I just go in my underpants. Yeah, and I started doing that. And I'm in my undies in this suit. And I thought it made so much sense. And I, mm. I went one day and I, I didn't have I wasn't wearing any undies and I forgot. So I just jumped in the bird suit completely nude. And I thought, well, this is cool. Like I'm I feel like I'm naked in front of ten thousand people and they're cheering at me. It's quite a rush. Um, the funniest time when I was in the bird suit, I think it was the 89 grand final. It was Manly versus Canberra. And Bob Hawke was on stage about to present the, the Winfield Cup. And I ran up to Bob Hawke and one of his security guards, CIA kind of operative. Shot you. Yeah, he, he ran over to stop me and I dived across the stage and it was a bit wet and I slid on my <laughs> belly across this little tiny stage I want to see that in the middle of the field and just fell off the ice. <laughs> like straight in front of Bob Hawke. Ridiculous. We used to have uh, Nick takes over your parks, a lot of uh, SpongeBob SquarePants suits and Patrick the Starfish suits. And uh, it was always a summer thing, Nick takes over your parks. So it would have these, you know, you have to be a, like a, a four foot girl or guy like a young boy or girl in the in the suit in the SpongeBob suit because it's quite low, quite small. Mm. And I remember in Bundaberg, some of the local kids saw some of the local kids. Yo 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 yo. Can we come through? Yeah. Uh, some of the local kids were. I think they were throwing a rock or two at a, at a mum walking her kid in a pram. Like it's quite a wild wild place. And they they locked eyes, locked onto SpongeBob, and just ran at her. And uh, I think three three kids tackled. SpongeBob simultaneously. Did you give it, ever get in the SpongeBob outfit? It was too small. I could get in the Patrick Starfish one, <laughs> but the SpongeBob one had some timber in there, and the and the the girl inside ended up cutting a face. It was a disaster. It was quite horrible. I think there so, was. So, what did you have? A few weird jobs when you were growing up. What, what were some strange jobs you might have done? Nah, well, the first one was a freelance golf ball collector. So it was just something you decided yourself. Yeah, start a little operation. Freelance golf ball collector. A little one-man operation, Mike. Out of Waco's golf course, completely illegal. Would go up there, collect all the balls, occasionally steal a ball, uh, wash them at home, bleach them, make them look nice, present them in a 12-pack of eggs, like an egg carton, 12 for 10 bucks. It's nice. Undercutting the, uh, what do you call it, the the clubhouse? Yeah, Yeah, the golf shop. Wait down there on the ninth hole, bang. So you're quite 20, 30 bucks, entrepreneurial. Quite cashed up. Yeah, cool. And, and that for twelve, entrepreneurialness has continued in your later life as well. Like you, you've got all these great new inventions that you're painting and starting up. Mate, there and is, you're allowed to talk about them. There is a little, a little invention. Uh, the selfie stick thing. A can little you talk paper. about that. Not quite yet. Not quite oh, yet. But we, we definitely can in the weeks to come. Maybe I'll come back on and give it, give you a demo of it, Mike. But uh, basically, something to help people self shoot. Uh, on content. the red carpet and stuff like that. Yeah, live, pre-recorded, nice. whatever you like. Yeah, no, it's a, a cracker. That'd be good. Mm. What else are you inventing? But that's that's all for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no sexual positions or anything <laughs> you'd like to talk us about. Now, James Curley's 110 Karma Sutra positions. It could, it could the be The extra good. 10. I, was thinking, I think I had an idea a while ago to do a, a Karma Sutra just in a car, all the different positions you can have sex in a car. The Karma Sutra. The Karma Sutra. Karma Sutra, That's yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, the Good back seat. The table book. The flip down the back seat, the Using roof, the, gear the bonnet. <laughs> you 
you've had sex in a car, Mike? Uh, maybe. Yeah. A gentleman doesn't tell tales You'd hope after so. bedtime. You'd hope But yeah. yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, tell us about your book. Speaking of books, The Man Plan. The Man Plan. It's still everywhere. I saw it in um, General Pants the other day. Yeah, it must be three it's, or four it's years. It's even better than bookstores. It's, it's in clothing stores as well. Mate, everywhere. Yeah, no, we've, uh, we've reprinted, uh, about to go to print again, I think for about the fifth time now, doing an eco, an eco version. So uh, all uh, FSC paper, which is better than recycled paper. Mm. Um, I didn't realise that if you, you have a sustainable forest, mm. uh, there's less uh, waste that goes into the, the environment than uh, than recycled paper. So that's what you you know it's the most ecologically sound way to, to print books. Vegetable dyes, um, and yeah, all, all the products are quite environmentally friendly now. And the uh, the new edition. So what's what's in the man plan? What what uh, what do you talk about? It was just it was just uh, an idea that I think uh, myself and a few friends we all were good at various parts of, of life. Mm. But no one sort of graded every part of life. So it's just a, the 10 most common areas guys struggle with and, and expert advice. So not by any means claiming that I'm an expert, but going out and talking to, to various experts from psychologists to uh, economists, the people that can sort of help people to chefs, you know, just, just iron out that one, one or two weak spots that most guys have and bringing that back up to a, you know, a, a, good, a good level. So self-help driven by dick jokes. Yeah. <laughs> is the essence. Right up my alley. Yeah. And, and what's in the next book that's coming out? Well, think about doing a man plant too, because mm. I think that was, uh, you know, the, the 20s to your, your early 30s is mm. what was sort of covered in the man plan. But as as we're all getting older, I think there's there's lots of stuff, you know, maybe even in your 60s like you, Mike, that mm. there'd be some, oh, some advice. <laughs> You're an Airbnb entrepreneur as well, aren't you? I do a bit of Airbnb, Mike, yeah. not, not dissimilar to yourself. I've got a, a few Airbnbs on the go. How good is it? It's very good. It Love is very it. good. It's yeah. a revolutionary concept. I think banks are just starting now, not, not across the board, but banks are just starting to recognise the revenue mm. of Airbnbs as a means to lend against for, oh, for oh. more. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Properties, which was never, you know, up until... This year, 2017, wow. hasn't really uh, been the case. So it's good to see they're recognising it as a, a genuine great news means for, of uh, awesome news for us. Have you got, got any funny stories? Like you had uh, a, a few strange, hairy moments with Airbnb guests. No, I had um, had a school teacher, which you'd, you'd expect a lot from a school teacher. Yeah, you know, responsible figure hmm. to our children, like Primary your parents, principal. I think she was. Yeah, hmm. and uh, she was just just a, a larger lady who. Wasn't very careful with the house. We found dog urine. So she let her dog what? piss on the bed. Oh. I was like, hey, hey, Carol, look, it's a bit of an issue here. There's just some dog urine on the bed. Um, how do you want to sort this out? She's like, oh, just pulled out the principal on me. Oh, I don't think that would have happened. We've been very responsible and let the, let the dogs out to toilet. It's like, well, here's a picture of some piss on a doona. What do you reckon? So just charged her a little fee and, and moved on. But that's probably the worst I've had. Nothing, nothing like your experience, Mike, which was pretty horrendous. Which one? Didn't you have a, a, um, a transgender oh, lady that's right. yeah, dying? Nice, nice little old mm. lady. Uh, gave her the key. Went away. Uh, I went away on holidays for a few days down the coast, and yeah. my friends were calling me saying, um, "There's strange noises coming from your house." 
next door. I said, well, can you go and knock? Yeah, we did, but no answer. But it sounds like someone's just going, like a car trying to start. (laughs) And it turns out the little old lady was actually a man and doing strange things to himself in the bedroom there. He's uh, had a heart attack. And nice. A stroke, and he couldn't move, and he's fallen down between the bedside table and the bed, and he's lying there just making this noise in hope that someone would come and save him. Luckily, I got my friends to break in and found him lying next to the bed, and he had wigs everywhere, and there was poop and urine, mm. and the ambulance came along. Sounds like a fun in. night in. Great. I'm so glad that I was away for that one. <laughs> and uh, tried contacting after, no, never heard anything, but Airbnb uh, paid all the cleaning fees and everything like that, which was you know, over, overestimated on my part probably a little oh, bit. It would have I've got to be. clean up poo. It would have to be, absolutely. Uh, and another time, which actually it's happened a couple of times, you're trying to speak to someone in China who's coming over for a holiday to your two-bedroom apartment and 20 people showed up. What? And I said, no, 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 we only take two. I said, oh, yeah, 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 only two people stay. I'm like, uh, there's 20 people here. Oh, no, they're living. Okay, so it came what back time? a few hours later. Six o'clock at night, they're still there. They're and not said, leaving. They've got to go now. They've got to go, leave, leave them in five minutes. Okay. Mm. So I had to go somewhere and I came back at about, I don't know, an hour and a half later. Still pretty early. Yeah. Maybe like 10 o'clock or something like that. All of them asleep on towels, <sighs> on the floor, like on the staircase. People people sleeping, standing up. Surely you just I, just pass the hat around and go, just $10 a head, thanks. There we go. I was going to wake them up, but I thought they, they look so cute just lying there and I couldn't really do it, so I just took a whole heap of photos to show my friends. <laughs> Look at these little fellas. Sneaky, sneaky so little tired. things. They must have been crammed in the baggage compartment of the plane or something like that. Yeah, well, if, look- you, if you take that approach to airlines, it's an economical way to travel, isn't it? Just two seats they looked and a little bit of a uh, little bit of mm. check-in luggage. But Airbnb's 18 people. been uh, been good for someone like me working in the entertainment industry. You know, it's like one minute you're. You've got a million jobs on the next minute. You're like, holy shit, I've got nowhere to live, no money. My <laughs> life is over. But uh, it's good because you can rent out your, your property and you can go and sleep on the street for a couple of nights. <laughs> yeah. then, then you've got enough money to eat. Exactly. Just temporary homelessness. So it's what's, sensational. What's the future hold for James Curley? Mate, we've, uh, we've, we've shot a pilot recently for a comedy sort of late night show, mm. which we're waiting to hear back on, which would be good fun. Also working on a, a pilot for a, a craft beer show. There's so many craft breweries in Australia, so just exploring some of the stories behind craft beer in Australia, which, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, and also been doing some auctions, calling auctions. Uh, real estate market, obviously, in Sydney and across Australia had a very solid couple of years and uh, got oh. into into that in the last last year or so mm. and been loving that. Just I was seeing, in a uh, real estate agent the other day and I saw uh, some of your promotional material lying around. It was like one of those hammers. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the dildo hammer. What's yeah. <laughs> A dildo hammer. Oh, it's just a little promotional thing. I've got don't fuck yourself with a with a bad auctioneer and sort of send them out. And uh, that's complete fiction, Mike. It's complete fiction. Oh, you didn't really? <laughs> no, no. James Curley, you are you're a smart ass. Yeah, the foundation um, of our friendship, I'd say. Mike. I had this crazy idea where basically I would read history. Mm. It'd be an educational thing for you and I because we probably didn't pay enough attention at school. Yep. And uh, and and you know you you could just comment on the way. Yep. And maybe even act out some of the parts. Sounds good. Where it happened. Yeah, let's do it. What do you think? Let's give it a crack. And the sun is going down. Big moon rising. Still believe. Rock and roll save the world. And ocean dreams. I for every Today. 
The Sydney Harbour Bridge. <clears throat> the Sydney Harbour Bridge is a steel through arc bridge across Sydney Harbour that carries rail, vehicular. Vehicular? Vehicular? It sounds like vernacular. Why wouldn't they just say mm. vehicles? Vehicular. V- yeah, it, vehicles is easier, isn't it? It carries rail, vehicular. vehicular Bicycle and pedestrian traffic between the Sydney Central Business District. Di- between the Dick Sydney. Trick. <laughs> Did I say Central Dick Trick? trick. <laughs> and the North Shore. The dramatic view of Wouldn't the. It'd be great if there was an area within the CBD just for Dick Tricks, <laughs> where stockbrokers, stressed financial types could come and just go, check it out. Check out my hammerhead. Check out my hamburger. Do you remember a band called Chocolate check out the Starfish? Isn't that an anus? No, there's a band. They had that, you wanted me to be yeah, a mountain. Yeah, so the lead singer showed me what dick tricks were when I was mm. doing an interview with him when I was working at Triple best, M. Best trick he had? Uh, the fruit bat. What's the fruit bat? Pulled his pants down and just did a handstand in the studio. Okay, just hanging, just yeah. flopping the daytime fruit bat. Disgusting. Under the direction of Dr. John Bradfield of the New South Wales Department of Public Works, the bridge was designed and built by British firm Dorman Long and Co. of Middlesbrough and opened in 1932. The bridge design was influenced by the Hell Gate Bridge in New York City. It's the sixth longest spanning arc bridge in the world. And you can't the- really boast about that, can you? Six Being the longest. sixth longest spanning bridge in the world, it's... Top three is cool. I don't remember five's good, but ever showing six. someone around Sydney going, hey, the Harbour Bridge, it's the sixth longest. This is Mike, my sixth favourite friend. It's not nice. Uh, it's also the tallest steel arch bridge. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't, yeah. I didn't Tell know your that. friends about that little fun fact with throwing Come to here. Australia, see the tallest steel arch bridge. Mm. Uh, it actually measures at 134 metres, 440 feet from the top to water level and it's also the world, and it's also the world's widest long span bridge. That's good. Yeah, but I didn't width, know that. Bit of height and girth. The world's longest. What about the Golden Gate Bridge? Isn't that longer? Well, I think it's a different structure. Oh, that so, one because it's a suspension bridge. This okay. is an arc bridge. So it's the arc that pushes out and holds it up. And so from one end to the stuff, other. Science stuff inject here. Yeah. Apparently, there'd been plans to build a bridge as early as 1815 when convict and noted architect. Francis Greenaway reputedly proposed to Governor Lachlan Macquarie that a bridge be built from the northern to the southern shore of the harbour. So it was a convict's idea mm. to build a harbour bridge. A petty criminal. Strangely enough, the Greenway building at the uh, the northern end of the harbour bridge now is one of the biggest housing commission blocks still in Sydney, named after that convict. And I think there's a few convicts living in there now. Um, should we click on the blue writing and find out what Mr. Greenway actually did to be click a convict? Click it. If he's click got it. buildings named after himself and he decided it was his idea. Well, a lot of people did get sent here for stealing loaves of bread, Mike. Let's, you know. Send him to Australia. He stole a loaf of bread. Down <clears throat> to the paradise. Francis Howard Greenway. Mm. He was born November 20, 1777 in Bristol in England. He was an English-born architect who was transported to Australia as a convict for the crime of forgery. Forgery? What did he forge? You need a bit more detail than that, surely. He worked for the governor as Australia's first government architect and became widely known and admired for his work displayed in buildings such as St Matthew's Church in Windsor, New South Wales, um, and also Hyde Park Barracks in Sydney. What did he forge? Maybe some plans, some architectural plans? In 1809, he became bankrupt. And in 1812, he pleaded guilty under the advice of his friends to forging... <laughs> Get a lawyer. 
to yeah. por- to forging <laughs> to forging a financial document and was sentenced to death. Shit. He forged a financial document. It's a pretty document. dark past. Hitting rock bottom. I said. Forging. You know, you know what you should do? You should plead guilty. And you should die. That uh, I'm your friend and I'm giving you friendly advice. I'm it's not going to get a lawyer. I've got such good friends. It's time to die. So he pleaded guilty. Poor bastard. Obviously wanted to die. But uh, later on he was told um, the only way he could save his life is by going to Australia and getting sentenced to 14 years jail. There you go. Prison in Australia. That, that's the guy who invented the Harbour Bridge. Anyway, continuing on with the story. Uh, in the 1900s, the Lynn government committed to building a new central railway station and organise a worldwide competition for the design and construction of a Harbour Bridge. Mm, uh, a lot of people on Instagram sort of posting their designs up, getting involved that way, and the most likes obviously got the design. It's funny you should say that, James, because the local engineer, Norman Selfie... Norman Selfie... He submitted a design for a suspension bridge, probably with a, a photo of himself in the design. Yeah. Uh, and won second prize of £500 in 1902. Uh, when the outcome of the competition became mirrored in controversy, Selfie won a second competition outright with the design for a steel, a steel cantilever bridge. The selection board were unanimous in commenting that the structural lines are correct and in true proportion and the outline is graceful. Let's take a selfie. And in 1914, John Bradfield was appointed Chief Engineer of Sydney Harbour Bridge and Metropolitan Railway Construction. Uh, so he's done well. He, he's obviously directed them to build the bridge. He's, uh, you know, cracked the whip over the years it took to, to, to build it. But he's got the, one of the roads coming onto the Harbour Bridge yeah. named in his honour. And when he got the, uh, the finally got the approval, they yanked it back off him because they needed the money for the war effort. So they didn't build the bridge for a while. Poor bastard. How do people get to the actual war when there's no fucking bridge? Yeah. Send us a boat, please. Following World War I plans to build the bridge again, build momentum, Bradfield persevered with the project, fleshing out the details. Then it was decided that it was going to be built based on the design of New York City's Hell's Gate Bridge. In 1922, the government passed the Sydney Harbour Bridge Act, specifying the construction of a high-level cantilever bridge across the harbour from Dawes Point to Milson's Point. Hmm, build it between the points. That makes sense. Uh, the building of the bridge was under the management of Bradfield, that's, uh, you know, the Bradfield Highway. That's mm. right. The other people heavily involved in the bridge's design and construction were Lawrence Ennis, Edward Judge, and Sir Ralph Freeman. Ennis was the engineer in charge at Dorman Long and Company, the main on site supervisor. Bradfield visited occasionally throughout the project. Sounds at, pretty lazy. And in particular, at many key stages of the project to inspect progress and make managerial decisions. We take all the credit by the sounds. One of those managers that just pops in for those hero moments, you know? A, so, a, oh, thank you. Quick photo. Thanks, a, guys. A seagull manager. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, it's a chip. Don't paint it black. I strictly said orange. <laughs> Later, there was a bitter disagreement between Bradfield and Freeman as to who actually designed the bridge. Mm. I designed it. I designed it. I designed it. I des- My name's Bradfield and I'm the director. You've just got a road. I'm the one who actually drew the picture. It was a convict came up with it anyway. Measuring their dicks. I don't give a shit what you say. Uh, anyway, there's 469 buildings on the North Shore, both private homes and commercial operations. They were demolished what? so that they could build the Sydney Harbour Bridge and no compensation was paid. Motherfuckers. You'd be pretty angry, wouldn't you? My family worked on the Harbour Bridge. It was back in the 1900s. You just lose your house, bad luck. The husband and wife at home. Hello, darling. Life's great, isn't it? It's grand here looking at the harbour. We've got everything we need. 
Hello? Who's that? I'll get this. Hello? Oh, hello. I'm from the government. Uh, we're going to knock down your house and build a bridge. Is that okay? okay? How much money would you like to give us for our home we've paid for and built here through years of hard work? Um, let me just do some calculations. None. None, none. none whatsoever. You would not be happy. That is horrible, isn't it? Wow. Just build a bridge down the road a little bit. Can you, can you fuck off over to Cremorne what, Point? What, what about North Head and South Head? Yes. Just build a bridge over that. It's high. You can just put a big span across there, can't you? Oh, no, we need your house. Sorry about that. Get the fuck out. Once work had progressed sufficiently on the support structures, the uh, there was a massive creeper crane on each side of the harbour bridge. Oh, fuck, I lost my spot. Darling, can you deal with the cunt at the front door? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> you can't kick me out of my house. Yes, I, we I, can. I live here. You want to build a bridge here? Well, do, you, do you mind if we finish our breakfast? <laughs> nope, sorry, gotta go now. Oh, no time for breakfast. Anyway, uh, once work had progressed sufficiently on the support structures, a giant creeper crane was erected on each side of the harbour. The cranes would creep along the arches as they were constructed, eventually meeting up in the middle. In less than two years, on Tuesday, the 19th of August, 1930, the two halves of the arch touched for the first time. I've been looking at you from the other side of the harbour for two years. And I've been noticing your eyes upon me the entire time. Our archers are about to touch. Want to touch? Let's touch. <sighs> oh, so good. Uh, so the archers touched and it was celebrated by flying the flags of Australia and the United Kingdom from the jibs of no, the giant... No Aboriginal flags back then. No. They were just Don't... doing a bit of murdering on the, on the foreshores, not I... so much celebrating their culture or what we've taken away from them. Mm. Gangsters built the steelwork in the towers. What? Not the fucking gangsters? Gangers. Oh, gangers. Not gangsters. I oh. misread it. It's gangers. Oh, gangers. So people who bang gang and, and like to fuck large groups of people. No. No, no, no. A ganger is actually one who walks or goes, a walker, a, like walking along, along the gangplank. Oh, right. You know, they call them gangers. Really? There's another. Have a look at an urban dictionary for a ganger. It's a very different description. Yeah. It's one who oversees a gang of workmen. Oh, right. One who is employed in conveying the coal through the gangways. That's what Wikipedia says. learning some fun facts here okay. about the old times. So these gangers, not gangsters, <laughs> ganger bangers, uh, built the steelwork in the towers while day labourers manually cleaned the granite with wire brushes. That's, oh, a wow. shit, that's a shit job. On the 19th of January 1932, the first test train, a steam locomotive, safely crossed the bridge. You'd love it to crack just for a bit of drama. You'd love it just to... Some, something to go wrong. So this was a good opportunity for them to load test the bridge with as many as 96 steam locomotives positioned end-to-end -end on the harbour bridge. Pretty cocky. How can we test the strength of this bridge? I know. Let's just load it up with a fuckload of locomotives. How many have we got? Can we get a dozen? We've Two got, dozen? Well, George has four. Billy's got 15. And I think if we just throw the hat around, we should be able to get at least 96. Great to get 100 would be good, but 96 has got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Pump them on the bridge now. Great Lo idea. Load them up. Let's hope it doesn't fuck it. So they tested it for three weeks. Uh, after <laughs> we just left them there. They just, just left it, rolled them backwards and forwards. They played choo-choo trains on the bridge. They basically, these guys, they just tried to... Break it. They mm. tried to break the bridge. They put 50 tonnes of trains on there. Now we just need to uh, test it with 20, 20 people walking across. The standards of industrial safety during construction were poor by today's standards. <laughs> Not good. I shouldn't laugh. There's probably a few fatal moments you're about to tell me about and I'm going to seem like a bit of a prick. 
16 workers died during construction. That's not bad. That's not terrible. You think 16 how many people died? You think about how many people, you know, were working on it for, for several years. Apparently there's a few survivors though from mm. the fall. Most people died from the fall, but a few people I think dropped a nail or a hammer or something to break the surface tension of the water. Well, only two died from falling off the bridge. Wow. Several more were injured from unsafe 14? working practices. What do you mean? Like a nail in the hand or something or No, no, that was the while creep, the creeper crane got him. While heating and inserting its rivets. And the deafness experienced by many of the workers in later years was blamed on the project. Yeah. We're banging in molten, molten nails. It's not going to be good for the ears, is it? That's, that is very sad. Six, well, 14, 14 workplace safety issues right there. How much do you think it cost to build? Back then, when was it, 1931? Mm. Oh, 15 million? The total financial cost of the bridge was 6.25 million which was not paid off until 1988. And they promised they'd stop charging the toll when it was, but it keeps going, a minute. It keeps going up. It wasn't paid off until 1988. It took them that long just to pay $6.25 million, mm. and we still pay a freaking toll. Bradfield and his family, I think, were getting a little bit of a kickback. What are we paying for? Uh, the bridge was formally opened on Saturday, the 19th of March, 1932. Amongst those who attended and gave speeches were the state governor, Sir Philip Game, and the Minister for Public Works, Lawrence Ennis. I'm game to try this bridge. Ennis, Ennis thought that he designed it. Uh, the Labor Premier of New South Wales, Jack Lang, was also there, and he was about to cut the ribbon at the southern end. Gather round, people. This is a momentous occasion, and I'm about to open the bridge officially with this here golden scissors across the beautiful ribbon. Here's the golden scissors, sir. Oh, this is so exciting. Let me just oil them up and get them all ready to go. Quick sharpen of the shears. So just before the slashing of the ribbon... Here we go. A man in military uniform rode up on a horse... Who the fuck is this prick on a horse? ...and cut the ribbon with his sword. This cunt has just (laughs) stolen my moment. Uh, and opened this, this fucker's just stolen my moment. He opened the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the name of the people of New South Wales before the official ceremony began. Shoot him and the horse. He was promptly arrested. The Take rib- the shot. The ribbon was hurriedly retied and Lang performed the official opening ceremony. Ladies and gentlemen, can we pretend that didn't happen and this moment is still mine? Francis Edward de Groot. 24th of October 1888 to the 1st of April 1969 was a member of the right-wing New Guard of Australia who was the most he was most famous for the protest when he opened the Sydney Harbour Bridge in 1932. That's a pretty good claim to fame. Mm. So what have you done with your life? Uh, open the Harbour Bridge. Mm. I'm one of the first disruptors in Australia. Bit of an influencer. That was mm. me. I, I opened the. Um... It's a bold move. Back in those times as well, they wouldn't sort of you know smile upon people. Showing that sort of disrespect you to think authority. Just, you'd think they'd just shoot them. <laughs> well, he lived in 1969, so he had a good 30, 30 uh, you know, six years of telling stories over beers to his mates about being a bit of a local legend, I'd imagine. Well, he was actually uh, arrested and charged with causing a public nuisance. How much do you think it. his fine was? 20 bucks. Five dollars. Five dollars. Back then, though, probably 500. They performed a psychiatric experiment on him. Not good back in those days. And said that he was insane, which was then later reversed. And he sued the government for an undisclosed amount of money for being arrested and won. Someone should write a book about De Groot. 
Well, he didn't get degreeted, did he? That's sensational. A local hero and then walking away with a little king's ransom from the government. What a legend. So this guy who opened the Sydney Harbour Bridge, Mr. DeGroote, he did it before a crowd of 300,000 people. Where would they stand? Not on the bridge, surely. Not on the bridge. Well, the bridge can hold 97 locomotives, so why couldn't they stand on the bridge? I suppose 300,000 people on the bridge, though. That's a... That's three MCGs on the Harbour Ridge. I suppose he had two kilometres long. Yeah, it's, that's a big crowd, though. What a legend. Maybe it was a Facebook Live. They were watching it. Did it say online or just in person? So, initially he was taken to a small police station attached to the toll house on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Impound the sword and string the prick up! Later in the day, he was sent to the lunatic reception house at Darlinghurst. Send him to the nut house. The lunatic reception house is what it's called. That sounds like yeah. a bar I would go to. I know, it's perfect sort of bar, isn't it? It's kind of after the wedding ceremony, you've got the, the lunatic uh, reception. Drinks, this is where canapes. The same afternoon, he was examined by a Dr. Edric Hillard, a psychiatrist and medical superintendent of Parramatta Mental Hospital, who determined that Groot was not insane. How do you plead sanity without sounding insane? Well, apparently on the 21st of March 1932, he appeared before Mr. McDoodle, Sippentry Magistrate, in court, and DeGroote was there hearing the charge of insanity. Detective Superintendent McKay gave the evidence to the effect of Groot's actions on the bridge were those of an insane man. You can't just gallop onto the harbour bridge with a sword and cut the ribbon. If I may, Your Honour, I have a few things to say in my defence. <laughs> Subsequently, uh, Dr. Eric Hillard gave his opinion based on his examination of De Groot that he was sane, and the magistrate subsequently ordered De Groot's discharge from Reception House. Sounds like there's a movie in that. De Groot, just the heroes, people getting locked up in the nut house, coming back, suing the government, getting some cash, being a local legend for the, the, the latter years of his life. While the first and third charges were laid against him were dismissed, the magistrate did find De Groot guilty of offensive behaviour in Bradfield Highway, a public place, and was fined the maximum penalty of $5 with $4 in costs. After that, he sued for wrongful arrest on the grounds that a police officer had no right to arrest him at all. An out-of-court settlement was reached. So he ended up making money. Profiting. A bit like the streakers at the cricket. $5,000 fine, but, you know, you put a you know, little Vodafone tattoo or sticker on you and suddenly you make fifteen. And that was the history of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. What a beautiful story, Mike. Straight from Wikipedia. Wikipants. Is that the name of the segment? We call it Wikipedia Pants. Wikipedia Pants. I think it's got a nice ring to it. And De Groot, in my eyes, is the, uh, the clear hero of that build, hmm. of that whole era. I think we need to get together a monument for De Groot. A free speech statue yeah. of De Groot. And throwing his... His feces at the same time, just to just to describe visually that element of uh, insanity. You know what crazy people do? They throw their shit around. Please there. give us a, a little ranking, a rating, a review on iTunes, and thank you to the people at Bytes Audio Network and the Audio Boom plus iTunes podcast. Thanks, mate. No worries, mate. Great and to thanks, be here. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to On The Mic with Mike Goldman. Subscribe, download and review at iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher or your favourite podcasting app. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 